0: Spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as
1: August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister girlfriend you've always
0: wanted, and she loves to talk sex. You're going about your life as usual when something pretty wondrous happens an epiphany strikes a truth a realization while you look the same from the outside except perhaps for a newfound glow you feel somehow changed it's as though a blank sky has revealed its stars asking who are you now or perhaps it says yes finally this is who i've always been one of mine took place when i delved into solo play for the first time at age 30. Before then, I had spent years leaping from relationship to relationship or hookup to hookup for a stint, all the while assuming my sexual needs were met. So, why even consider masturbation? That all changed one lonely night when I decided to act on my sexual urges. Just me, myself, and a hot pink dildo. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. I'm so thankful you're listening. If you've been following along here for a while or have read my Girl Boner book, you already know how that dildo story went down. What I read up top is an unedited preview snippet from my newest book. It's called Girl Boner Journal, which is set to release by Amberjack Publishing this winter. And it really fits topics we're going to delve into today, epiphanies and sexual self-discovery. We'll also explore competitiveness versus non-competition, the power of female friendships, and my book with Mackenzie Mizell, an incredible musician, audio engineer, and producer, and co-founder of a new network I am thrilled to be a part of. She also happens to be one of my dearest friends, and I couldn't think of a better person to talk about my most personal work than a friend who's been launching much of her own magic into the world, which I can't wait for you all to hear about. I realize that I've shared a few excerpts from my Girl Boner book, but I haven't talked much about it beyond that. So rather than share what I like or hope people gain from it, we'll share a few reader reviews, including a negative one, and talk about the themes the reviews bring up, as well as dealing with criticism, which ties into our listener question for today pretty well from a woman who's having trouble asking for what she wants in bed. Concern over others' feelings can show compassion, but it can also work against us and everyone involved if it stifles us. Before we dive in, a huge sponsor shout-out to The Pleasure Chest, my favorite place to shop for sex toys, lube, and other sexual health and pleasure products. They've been championing sex positivity for decades with a focus on inclusivity and education. To start shopping, head to thepleasurechest.com, or a brick-and-mortar location in L.A., New York, or Chicago. For occasional Girl Boner extras by email, head to augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. I send updates about once a month. Now, I'm so pleased to welcome Mackenzie Mizell, the force behind all things audio in my life, and so much more. Thank
2: you for joining me, Mackenzie. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm, like,
0: welcoming you to your own studio.
2: (laughs) It feels really weird. I just had, like, during your intro... Oh, no, I'm already saying like, look out. That's a thing I do on my... Likes are welcome. <laughs> but I just had two times that my heart skipped a beat because the guy is going, oh, I'm not watching the numbers. I'm not recording. Oh, I'm a guest. <laughs> I don't have to. By the way, thanks to Period's first intern, Haley, for being here. Yay. She stepped in and is playing audio engineer today. Yeah. Thank you, Haley. So this is weird. I'm yeah. on mic. Hi. You thank are. you so much for
0: me Oh, my guest. gosh. I'm so happy to have you here. It's... It's a thrill for me, and it's it's so interesting because I feel like we have been really good friends for a super long time, yeah. but really, we met like months ago. Yeah,
2: I think it was like July or June, maybe? Yeah, it was the summer. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder,
0: though, is that an effect you have on most people when they're just like you're the most amazing person because I've met a couple other people who after they met you they said the same thing and I was like
2: oh we all feel that way (laughs) about (laughs) I think that maybe I just maybe you're this way too but you just have that thing that clicks I felt that with you I remember you and I like two days into knowing each other we were like is it weird that we just want to be friends and we immediately started <laughs> texting each other and it kept being like I don't know if this is appropriate to share with you but yeah. I had this victory today or I had this problem today. Yeah. We, were, we knew each other professionally for like two weeks and yes. just decided to be friends so I think maybe that's it. There's plenty of people in my life who I meet and I just go oh okay you professional connection and I'll interact with you in that sphere and then if there's someone like you it's oh yes let's just dive in head first and and I'm very direct and I just say I am your friend
0: now you were so direct with your emotions too which I re- appreciate because I met you the day I was saying goodbye to my last audio engineer Aww, Gabe yeah. who is wonderful he's and so great and we both really love Gabe I'm terrible with goodbyes anyway I get really emotional and I didn't want to embarrass him because I don't think he's quite as emotive yeah, as we are yeah. and so I, I remember going into the office and you were sitting there and we would said like three words to each other mm-hmm. and I was giving Gabe a present and I was like please don't open this right now because <laughs> I might cry. But and I'm like swallowing my tears. And then mm. you like rushed into my arms <laughs> and I was like, I'm keeping her. She, she's mine now. So this is cool. Uh, yeah. But I'm so grateful to be working with mm-hmm. you for all the stuff you're doing. And we're going to talk more about your network that I'm so excited about. I would love to hear a little bit about your personal journey, though. I know we're both from kind of small townish mm-hmm. areas. You're from Oregon. What did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were a kid?
2: Uh, Having been the engineer on your show for a while now and having gone back and listened to past episodes, I'm going to say I have the same thing to say as 99% of people on here, which is almost nothing. Uh, When I was, let's see, probably 9 or 10, uh, I was in line at a Wendy's And my friend mentioned something about birth control, and I said, oh, does that mean that because once you get married, you automatically start having babies? And that night, my dad was like, you don't know how babies work, so I'm going to use fish as an example and tell you all about how the... The lady fish lays the eggs, and the boy fish (laughs) lays the sperm. So I got a fishing-specific sex talk. (laughs) Plenty of fish Uh, in the sea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then years later, my mom, and I love her very much, and I'm going to have her listen to this, so uh, I'm sure even mentioning that there was anything about sex in our household will embarrass her, but uh, she can't even watch people kissing on TV. So her uh, tact was... I came home, and there was a picture book like from the 70s with a naked man and a naked woman on the cover that just explained how sex works. And then a week later, the book was no longer on the table. (laughs) So (laughs) that was, it just appeared and disappeared from my life. So that was basically my uh, sex education.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Mm. you had, I believe, some sexual kind of awakenings or self-discovery, which I think so many of us do have those moments Mm -hmm. where we kind of recognize that, oh, I'm a sexual being or something unique about our sexuality. What was a major one for you?
2: Yeah. So something, I don't even know if I've mentioned this to you, um, but I actually didn't have sex until I was 21. And so I wound up with this really unhealthy association between myself and virginity. Um, But I also, uh, I'm just putting everything out there. Uh, I also had uh, G cups and I had to get a breast reduction in my early 20s. So with being a virgin later than most, I also was just overtly sexualized. Like strangers would come up to me and comment on my breasts. Oh my gosh. So like I was the most direct embodiment of that virgin and the whore dichotomy. So sexual discovery was the weirdest thing for me and I was always somebody who was, like, I was, like, free love and just, like, didn't even know what poly or bisexual was when I was just, like, 14. And I was, like, can we all just cuddle? And my friends would be, like, I like this guy. And I'd be, like, oh, me too. Can we, like, date him together? And they were, like, you're weird. This is confusing. Aww. So I always was really open. So it was weird to, like, not have explored my sexuality but feel very open. So, um, yeah, I lost my virginity at 21. That was not very exciting. And then uh, 22, 23, I was on this trip in Mali with my cousin who was in the Peace Corps. And I mentioned that I'd only had sex with, I think one or two people by then. And she was like, what? That's crazy. And I was like, you're right, it is crazy. When I get home, I'm gonna just be liberated. And like two days after coming home, I was hanging out with two of my best friends in the world, Logan and Jesse, shout out. And we were all just cuddling. And then we all had sex and it was so like comfortable and friendly and fun. And that was just, again, everything feels like this very direct, simple metaphor. But I just realized everything I wanted sex to be, it could be. Mm. It could be without stress. It could be without relationships. It could be just an expression of friendship. So that was kind of the kickoff to how I've been living my life. My current boyfriend We're poly. We've had wonderful women come in and out of our lives, and that's kind of my overall uh, relationship to sex. Uh, Something you mentioned before the podcast, though, that I think is so important to talk about and I'd love to get into is that it's a never-ending journey, and I think for a while I thought, oh, at 23, I had a threesome, and I'm done, and I got there, and you never stop learning, and I know that your book explores that a lot, and I think that's such an important point for mm. people to understand about sexual discovery. Yeah,
0: it is really fascinating because I think we—it it is very easy. It's sort of like having your first relationship, your first heartbreak. It's like end of the world or mm-hmm. the best thing ever. And you think that's all there is. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, I've, I'm here now. I got this. Like I had my threesome or for me it was like, oh, I can have casual sex. Mm-hmm. And like this kind of quote, good girl me who'd mm-hmm. been, serial monogamous like mm-hmm. relationship after relationship with like almost no break in between suddenly I was like oh it dawned <laughs> on me like I can have sex with people I don't really know yeah. and whoa <laughs> so I got like really passionate about that for a while <laughs> and uh so I thought oh this is I'm sexually liberated mm-hmm. I totally got this like this is me I'm I'm here I, I got it this is my empowerment and uh and it was years later that I masturbated for the first time oh, wow. and it to me that that was any and not that there's anything wrong with not masturbating because Mm -hmm. I think that's an important point too not everybody enjoys it not everyone needs to do it but it is the most common expression of sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. and I didn't even realize I had shame there yeah because it was so embedded in me Mm -hmm. and so to have that kind of discovery and and newfound love and appreciation for my own body and self Mm -hmm. was life-changing and that is what Made me want to launch Girl Boner because I was like, now, now I can't shut up about this. I'm sorry, but this is like <laughs> everyone needs to know about this thing called masturbation. <laughs> I'm kidding. Now, obviously, I knew people knew about it, but I did think there must be so many people out there who've never masturbated, and I've met a few, but not nearly as many as I thought. Because whenever you're starting a sexual empowerment venture and it comes from personal experience, and I've mm-hmm. heard this from others too, it's very common to think, oh, this is my experience. So I bet everyone experiences Mm -hmm. this too. And you realize, no, you aren't alone, but you're also very unique Mm. and, um, and that your experience is not someone else's.
2: Yeah. But I think coming back to your book again, I think that's something that you express very well and that people should really understand is that it's not the specific act of, I tried masturbation the first time. It's the mindset of I've learned to open up and grow. I've learned to meet the things that I'm ashamed of head on. So you can share a very personal intimate story and maybe not a single element of that is what somebody else experienced. But it still brings out in them, oh, this vulnerability and sexual exploration. And so I think it's really important, whatever your story is, to share it. Don't assume someone else has the same experience. But if you're open about sex... It allows the next person you're talking to to be vulnerable and opens up a dialogue. And for women, oh, my God, <laughs> we mm-hmm. have to have this conversation more often. However mm-hmm. we get there, we have to have it.
0: I agree. And it can be really private. You don't have to be speaking into a microphone, you yeah. know, <laughs> as we do. And we we tend to want to, like, stand up and speak out, mm-hmm. and, and which is great and beautiful and worthy, but so is working on it in your own life mm-hmm. privately and, and knowing that your openness might look very different from somebody else's. and. And being sexually liberated might look very different for you than somebody else, too.
2: Absolutely. And I think your idea of launching a Girl Boner Journal, I think, is so important because there are so many people. I've had really close friends who I didn't even think to hold back. And I said, let's talk about masturbation. What do you use? What are your tricks? What do you think about And they go, no, I will never tell you (laughs) what I do or how I do it. So for a lot of people, journaling, taking some time to meditate and come up against those things, sometimes that can be the best first step. So you don't even have to talk about your friends or talk with your friends about it. You can just journal about it and just start to get comfortable with the idea of being Mm -hmm. sexual.
0: It's so true. And I love that about journaling. It's one of my favorite tools for any kind of growth because there's no judgment from other Mm -hmm. people, which holds so many of us back. I was laughing not at what you were saying, but at recollections of my own utterings (laughs) in public around friends who were just Mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? (laughs) At one point I remember, can we all talk about the penises we've met? (laughs) I I literally said that. And, uh, that -hmm. friend of mine, I mean, we barely speak now and I don't know if it has anything to do with that, but I do know that, um, you know, I'm laughing, but I also see that I I crossed a boundary without realizing Mm -hmm. it. Right. So I, I learned that, you can't just necessarily assume that everyone's ready for yeah. a certain conversation. Uh, but thankfully, you can find places to express yourself in the ways that, that you wish. And mm-hmm. and so this show is, is a big one for me for that reason. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, quote, good girl experience. Yeah. Uh, w- what comes to your mind when you think about good girl and, and sex?
2: Oh, my gosh. I think about the fact that, so before I was 21... Uh, it was always this weird conversation with my friends because they'd be talking about sex. And I would silently nod along for sometimes months and then reveal that I hadn't had sex. And then it would be this whole thing where usually people would be like all high fives and like, oh my God, good for you. You've still got that V card. And like treating it like, like women who I had close relationships with telling me that it was something to hold on to and guard preciously Mm. and they're the people who you confide in and you feel safe with and so how are you not supposed to internalize that and so i had a very hard time deciding to have sex there was nothing natural or fun about it it was oh God, okay, I need to like make the decision to become somebody who's had sex, to cross this threshold because my value was so tied up in it. I felt like buying a new car and driving it off the lot, I was going to depreciate if I had sex. And so it was so tough to make that decision. Um, and so I'd say that's the biggest thing that comes to mind with reckoning with that. And then after I had had sex, realizing that nothing was different and that is the biggest thing that i would tell younger girls who haven't had sex it so doesn't matter like sex is important and your relationship to sex and how it operates in your relationships with other human beings that is important but oh my god virginity is a bunch of bullshit and like don't let anybody tell you men or women that that's important Mm. because it is made up
0: there's not even a medical definition of it. like there's not actually a scientific definition
2: yeah it's and just completely made up. Yeah. And then we treat it like it changes you in the fiber of your being when you decide to do this. It doesn't like yeah. you can, you know, break your hymen riding horses like it's not a thing. Don't stress about that. Um, so then after that, it was really just a long time of the guilt and shame not to get depressing here. Um, but you do that thing for a while where and I've never talked to anybody about this. This is so nice to get to talk about this, but I remember laying in bed and being stressed out before I went to sleep because that's my favorite thing to do and going, okay, so I lost my virginity three years ago and I've had sex with three people. So that kind of balances out to 20 years. So I think that means that I'm not a slut. And then on the other hand, being like, but I'm sexually liberated, and there's no such thing as slut, and I should do what I want to do and, and explore. And, but this awful mental gymnastics of trying to figure out what's the balance between being a self-possessed, sexually liberated person and not being a whore. And, oh my God, you should never have to think about that. You should do whatever feels right in the moment. You shouldn't be keeping track. You shouldn't judge yourself positively or negatively based on that number. But that number like really hung over my head for a long time of, oh, my God, how many people have I been with? And yeah, so that's um, really heartbreaking
0: mm -hmm. to me and that it was so literal for you. Mm -hmm. Like you you it's almost like you had the devil and angel on your shoulders. And it's interesting because my experience was a little bit opposite in that. When I had sex the first time, I was a, a senior in high school and I thought that I was the only person in my school having sex.
2: Oh, wow.
0: I, and I thought I was, like, really rebellious. So mm. even – it took me a long time to even realize that I had this kind of, quote, good girl kind of uh, mentality mm. um, because in the context – like, compared to my family, for example, I felt like I was the one who would get in trouble and would do mm. these offbeat things. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to New York and I walked into my apartment – Of these other models who were, oh my gosh, I felt like, is there such thing as a Mormon nun? Because that's what I was. (laughs) I felt like, I was like, I can't believe how not naughty I am. Mm. Like, I think that's the thought I had. It was just, you know, like the first night that I, one of the first nights I was there, my roommate was having sex, I think with two people in her bed, which I'm very accepting of now Mm. is like. Polly and all that mm-hmm. stuff but I didn't even know what that was or you know I couldn't wrap my head around it but yeah. it wasn't I wasn't feeling judgmental of it mm-hmm. I was feeling judgmental of me yeah. for being like I only have one boyfriend mm-hmm. so many of my roommates have a secret boyfriend so that when <laughs> the a boy calls we mm-hmm. can't say their name just in case it's the hometown <laughs> boyfriend and they they smoked and they drank and they partied and I I seemed very pious, but really I was scared of all those things. Mm-hmm. I was very serious about my career and very, very freaked out. And I felt like such a nerd. Yeah. And I felt like really awkward and gawky. Um, so it's it's just funny how we, we internalize all these messages. It's Can you imagine your life, how different it would be if you didn't have those messages?
2: Yeah, because our value is so deeply tied to it. And I have to jump back real quick and point out that I was talking about how, oh, everything in my life is such a huge metaphor that if it were in a movie, it would be corny. But, oh, my God, your life to be a model, which your whole job is to be valued for your beauty and sexuality, and then to also be this good girl, like that had to be so strange and conflicting to wrestle with.
0: that You know, no one's ever asked me about that. That's interesting and very insightful. I... At the time, again, I think I didn't realize that I had some shame around that. But Mm -hmm. I also felt edgy and cool for it, you know, because there is. And I really did love the work. I I loved performing for the cameras. I could step out of my insecurity somehow. Mm -hmm. I felt so insecure and had horrible Mm. body image. But as soon as I was in front of a camera, it was like I shed who I really am and I became this confident person. Yeah. And then as soon as I was off, I felt so, I would be terrified going into my agency, mm-hmm. hanging out with other models, but I felt powerful there. But I was selling sex, arguably, mm-hmm. right? That's what you hear, like, seduce the camera. Yeah. And like the year after that, I was diagnosed with anorexia. Mm-hmm. So that strips you of everything sexual about yourself. I mean, yeah. you lose your period, you go back to childhood in your body you lose breast tissue, you have no sex drive, no real ability to self lubricate even. Mm-hmm. And yet I was at, quote, the height of my career. Wow. Like Vogue was interested in me. And I actually had a meeting, a callback meeting with them in Paris, the same week that I collapsed. And oh, uh, wow. it was really strange that sort of from the outside I think people thought oh everything's going so great Mm -hmm. and uh, to feel that alone and I didn't connect it to sex and sexuality until later yeah but I think it's really interesting when you launch something into the world how people Mm -hmm. reflect back to you yeah so I thought maybe we could go through some reviews from Amazon and Goodreads maybe chat along the way a little bit um I'll let you read them because I'd feel really funny like being like (laughs) amazing book um (laughs) I'll read the negative one if you want. No, I'm just kidding. You can, <laughs> you can take that one, too.
2: <laughs> so I'll start with an excellent one. This is five out of five. The title is Women Heal Themselves with a Little Help from August. I love, all caps, this book. Women's sexuality journalist August McLaughlin presents a whole slew of complex topics around female sexuality in the most inclusive of ways. Everyone from monogamous hetero wives to asexual intersex people will find guidance and representation here on some of life's thorniest issues around our bodies and souls and their naughtiest ties to our sexual selves. How can there still be so much shame and guilt around our own pleasure? Why does it take many of us so long to own our own needs or even understand them? If you're looking for an unblushing and personable exploration of how you actually are as a sexual creature, even if that's as an asexual one, Girl Boner is your book. I really love that.
0: (laughs) It was really touching for me too.
2: That term unblushing also is the perfect word to describe this because I really love how direct it is, but it's one of those things where, you know, that concept of like, what is it? Like, don't think of a white horse. And then it makes you think of one, that thing where like when you're talking to kids, like you say walk, not don't run because it draws the thing to mind. Like, I really like that. I think that their use of that term is perfect because everything in the book has this touch of you are making it very clear that you're going, well, we're touching a nerve here. This is raw. This is exposing me. And then you charge right ahead. So I just have to say that was... uh, such a perfect review of your book but I'm I'm taking over we're supposed to be discussing the review but I had to jump in and say that I really appreciate that that. that's
0: so insightful because unblushing is a beautiful because it's saying you don't have to blush about it. yeah you know it's okay I one of my favorite things that somebody said about an interview or talking with me was Mm -hmm. that I talk about sex as though talking about the weather and I was like why not (laughs) yeah like why can't we talk about pleasure like it's normal
2: yeah I think that would erase so much of the shame Yeah. (laughs) Next we have one called, Wow, she covers so much. This book is full of amazing resources and information on all things to help empower your sexuality. I was blown away by the wisdom shared in these pages, as well as the beautiful way the author tells her story. She covers so many topics, you are bound to learn something new, no matter your experience. Such a powerful read. Every woman needs this book. Buy it for yourself and get your daughter a copy too. Aww. Whoever wrote that, thank you.
0: That's very (laughs) kind. That's really sweet. Um, It sounds like, you know, whenever somebody says, buy it for a daughter, too, that means a lot to me, because that means that somebody is saying, I want my child to be empowered.
2: I love that. Just curious, how do you choose what you're going to include in your writing? For the book, I really
0: relied a lot on my audience over the last six years through blogging and through the podcast and being out speaking the questions people ask me the topics that seem to resonate the most um, you know there's certainly topics that I feel especially compelled to talk about uh, but but more than anything I think the strongest tool for anyone creating content is is really to listen like to listen to your own gut and your own heart and guide by that always like your inner compass Mm -hmm. and then also to instead of thinking oh I need to impress people or I need to sound cool or smart or actually thinking how can I help people and what are they saying like Mm -hmm. we are our words are only as strong as the you know the openness for them and, and what people want to know and I've been really fortunate to have super thoughtful readers and listeners who share so much really intelligent thoughtful caring people who have Questions that, um, while they're unique, there are common threads. So it's it's been a really a big gift for me to have that.
2: Yeah, I really love that you do that. I think it's so valuable, and so many people just leave that resource on the table of just listening. So I think that makes you—I mean, obviously I love you, but that makes you such a great host, writer, creator, the fact mm-hmm. that you're receptive and you listen.
0: Thank you. It's, um, it certainly is not my— it's not something that just like naturally was in me. <laughs> it's something I really had to work at. Um, you know, patience, listening, all that stuff mm-hmm. goes together. And listening takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And it takes a lot of, you have to be willing to be open to whatever people have to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Including the harsh stuff. Yeah. You know, their edges, their, their wounds, um, all of it. Uh, there was like the, the pregnancy content in the book didn't occur to me at first, not because mm-hmm. I don't think about pregnancy in terms of sex, because obviously it's mm-hmm. a big um, topic, but I'm not a parent and I'm n- yeah. I've never been pregnant that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, there were certain things I was like, oh, that's, you know, you can't rely only on yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to really listen.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of when you don't know if you're going to hit a nerve, Or bring out some negativity. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read one negative review here. And this is a two-star review on Goodreads. It says, I can find no other words to describe this book except for weird. (laughs) Sorry, I'll take this (laughs) seriously. Except (laughs) for weird. Not because it was very feminist and what is called progressive. You can't see my air quotes on the mic. Because I know about these theories but the author seems to be obsessed with masturbation and sex. I'm the wrong person to be reading this review. I am being so snotty. <laughs> All right. She also mentions intercourse positions that are supposed to help with anxiety. I wonder how that is supposed to work. The author also supports prostitution as well as recommends watching porn and reading erotica multiple times. I'm going to fight this person. Okay, I'm not being a good interviewer. Feminist and ethical porn, though I wonder if porn can ever be ethical. She also gives no reference to where she got the information that the rhythm method and NFP slash FAM are the same. This is something that she should definitely know as a sex educator exclamation point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's always so interesting when you get a negative review. I feel like I have a like a Teflon brain in some ways to rejection, which that's kind of like a rejection, right? When you get mm-hmm. some harsh stuff, but you still feel it. Yeah. Um luckily I've had enough criticism over you know the last decade or so that you do get better at at managing it but I do remember when I first read that like you feel a little heated like mm-hmm. I get kind of sweaty yeah and first you want to like defend mm-hmm. right like I want to say why all those things are wrong in my opinion yeah um, like that's not even factual or that's whatever <laughs> uh, and I had to really reel myself in and take a breath and go okay. This is not about me, really. Yeah. This is about this person. And also, my book's not really a good fit for this person. Yeah. Um, and I think it can be really easy to go through life on anything that we're creating or putting out into the world. And if we let those things dictate our well-being, our, our work, mm-hmm. or we hold back because mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. I think it's so dangerous. So I always remind myself, you can't please everyone. Like, that's kind of the sort of review that I have expected more of. Yeah. Like, I thought that I would get kind of, quote, attacked for mm-hmm. the way I talk about porn, both in the negative way and the positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I'm passionate about sex and masturbation, so that's fine. It's very, They're both very useful and very versatile, so mm-hmm. I, I don't mind that she pointed out <laughs> that I think they're... they're that they're helpful for a lot of different things, <laughs> but I'm not going to defend that. I'm not going to defend. I've, I've moved past that,
2: which is very admirable. And I think that that's so true that a review like this. First of all, I'm I'm your friend and I'm one of those people who I am incapable most of the time of defending myself if I'm disrespected, and then if someone fucks with the people I love, I'm like, I will kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm reading this review, I was being so snippy and that's, that's not good producer behavior. Um, <laughs> but I will say that what I can glean from and appreciate about this review and that I think you expressed really nicely is that this is someone who fundamentally disagrees with you. They did a cool thing which was expanded their horizons. They read something outside of what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't for them if they said something about your writing style or the organization of the book or the stories that you chose to tell, that might be something to stop and go, oh, is it not cohesive? Did I not have a good enough editor? Am I not a good writer? Like, no, they didn't attack anything about your writing. They just made it very clear that they have a different set of views from you and and you disagree. And I, I totally agree with you that, it's actually really great that you've got like one negative view when a lot of people have been reading this book and that the review is just I come from a different background than this person so we have different viewpoints.
0: Yeah, completely. And I respect that. And I and I think if I met this person I'd still be like I respect that. Yeah. We see things so differently and that's okay. My book is not for everyone. No thing is for yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um which I know we've talked a little bit in regard to when you were first starting period. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are still starting, period, in some yeah. ways. But you were, you brought up something about, you know, dealing with potential trolls. Like, mm-hmm. these are things that whenever you're doing anything that is, that is woman-focused, mm-hmm. that is feminist, that is inclusive, criticism will happen. Trolls crop up. I wonder, because we haven't talked about it since, how are you feeling about that potential?
2: Yeah, uh, I think when you're starting... podcast network actually when you're starting anything at all that labels itself as being by women or made for women uh, you can expect a certain amount of negativity and I've been really bracing for that Uh, we haven't had any negativity yet but there are so many people that I know I'm sure so many people that you know anybody who is vocal and public about the things that they're passionate about It's just so toxic on the internet that there's going to be somebody who's going to have an opinion about you before they've even looked into you, and they're going to find you, and they're going to yell at you. I know people who have told me that they will search out, uh, like trolls will search out buzzwords on Twitter, and they won't read articles they won't watch videos they'll just find if you did you know hashtag feminism Mm -hmm. and then they just come find you and yell at you so i've been very ready for a lot of negativity um i had talked to you about uh the possibility of having all contact information maybe go through one specific channel and then hiring somebody preferably a man (laughs) uh to serve as someone who filters things for us and passes along yeah so if it's like useful criticism it gets passed along and if it's just hate then we don't need to have that but so far we haven't had an issue uh we'll see as things go along uh I have a friend who's really wonderful and sweet and I have him in the back of my mind and unemployed. That helps. So if we get to the place that we need somebody, I'd, I'd love to bring on someone who can uh, help shield us from the trolls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely learn certain things. I love that plan of knowing, okay, I need to set a barrier so that I can do my work mm-hmm. and move forward and not have to see the things that are going to derail me yeah. and have somebody there. Um, I've learned things like don't read reviews at night Mm. don't read blog comments at night Mm -hmm. i still get trolly blog comments and also just not even trolls but people who are passionately upset about this blog post i have about steve harvey's 90 day sex rule Mm. and they don't phase me anymore but when i first did that post i was still pretty new to all this stuff and at night I would just feel enraged and mm. I just wanted to like, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it, it, when it starts taking away from your mission, it's right. time to set some boundaries up and
2: yeah, take care of yourself. Yeah. And that's something that I think is a, a skill that as time goes on, I'll wind up learning. But. Fortunately, I have you as my mentor and I can come to you when I'm saying this is driving me insane and you could help me yes. breathe Please and not take it on. Please use the experience
0: I've had dealing with that stuff because <laughs> then I feel like something good came out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I, I think that's so important that we are all there for one another in, in that that arena, especially mm-hmm. because it can feel really isolating. Yeah. Even when you are like, I already know it's not about me.
2: Right. But it still
0: can really get you. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to make that distinction. I just know that with day to day things in life, if somebody who I don't know is shitty to me about something that's not personal, it's just about what I represent to them, I'll still spend two days stewing about it because I took it personally. So I very much appreciate that you've laid the groundwork and figured out some ways to deal with that and to pass on that knowledge. It's very much appreciated. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. So we have a question from a listener that kind of ties into both the fear of also feeling like you're criticizing somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, f- feedback mm-hmm. uh, and also standing up for what we for our pleasure for what we care about, which I think is really important when you're building a brand, too, mm-hmm. and moving forward, you know, trying to stay true to yourself in this world where we're so judged and critiqued and, you know, mm-hmm. social media and all this stuff and, and really kind of peeling back the layers and going, wait, what do I want? And how do I ask for it? Yeah. Those, those can be tough things. So this question is really important. I think it came from a listener named Meg who wrote this. My partner of three years never goes down on me. He did maybe twice early in our relationship, but never since. I know I should be talking to him about this, but I feel so awkward. What if he's grossed out by that experience before? It also gets harder to bring it up as time goes on. I don't want him to know I've been wishing for it all this time, and thus am dissatisfied in bed, even though that's partly true. I enjoy the sex we have, but have actually faked orgasms many times because oral is how I come the best. Other than masturbation, do you have any suggestions, Meg? Such a insightful question, Meg. And also, I really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability and sharing. Um, here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say.
1: Meg, I'm as always thankful for any question, but in particular, I'm. Thrilled to answer this one, not only for yourself, but honestly for any woman out there who is missing out by not sharing her true turn ons and desires, or more importantly, confusing your partner by you faking it and really not giving them the opportunity to read your cues because you're not giving them accurate feedback. You know, I cannot say enough and sort of shout out from the rooftops that. Faking it is a disservice to everyone, to both of you. Um, Because so often, in my experience, a partner, their greatest desire is to turn on their partner. And when you're not giving that accurate feedback, they're kind of lost in the dark, right? And it's almost sort of, you know, not giving them a sense of, you know, a compass, right? And a sense of what is, you know, to stay longer, linger longer, shift, switch, so nonverbal and verbal, letting them know what turns you on is incredibly important and so important because, you know, the idea of faking it is around, we have this idea that uh, unfortunately in our culture, sex is so much about performance, right? And orgasm. And we get so lost from what it really is about, which is giving and receiving pleasure. And so, you know, I often work with men who not only are they so focused on giving their partner Pleasure, but it actually creates their own sort of performance pressure or demand and can impact their own ability to get aroused or even maintain their own erection. So I want to say to everyone, like, the goal isn't about orgasm, it is about pleasuring. And then going back to the beginning, I know it's been three years, but I'm willing to bet A, your boyfriend may not even remember, but the thing I definitely know is. You can't mind read. So, there's a part of you that thinks, you know, worst case scenario, maybe he thought it was disgusting. Well, I'm thinking, well, he may have had partners that really didn't like it or it wasn't a turn on. And it's also true, probably because you weren't as relaxed, that you may not have been expressive. And um, he may not have, again, gotten the accurate feedback that gave him a sense of that this was worth sticking with because it was a real turn on to you. And then the other thing I also know and is so true is that. When we come into a relationship, what happens is everything that's on your menu as a turn on and everything that's on your partner's, those are the things that work well automatically, reflexively. I often refer to it as green light for both of you, right? So they're automatically your go-tos and on your menu. And then the things that either one of you is less comfortable with or not even willing to entertain or you try it on and mm, first time it doesn't go so well, chances are, if you're like most couples, that just completely falls off the menu. Um, and I think I've mentioned it and spoke to it before in another episode, like even my own relationship and marriage, you know, when my husband and I got together, you know, at a certain point we uh, tried on role play and he was so good at it. I started freaking out. I was like, whoa, like, come back. Like it really like freaked me out. And because of that, we honestly didn't revisit it for years. And, you know, ultimately when we did, uh, you know, I often refer to tools in a toolbox. I'm like, You know, how fun and playful to now have this additional tool. And so what I can say is, you know, for all couples out there and listening, you really want to revisit six months, a year, different points in your relationship, things that you once tried or were not yet ready to try, the opportunity to explore again to see whether or not now that you're more relaxed and more comfortable, uh, whether or not now, right, you've expanded your list of uh, go-tos and turn-ons because again, the foundation of arousal is relaxation. And typically, the longer we're with our partner, the more relaxed we are. And we really do have the ability, I say the relationship is a safety net, right? And so we can really go out on that tightrope of exploring things you haven't before, and may or may not be a turn on. And that's where what I often refer to is the red light, yellow, light, green light comes in, you get to sort of explore, you know, revisiting things, is it now green? Or is it still yellow? Or is it still, you know, a definite stop red. And then as I say, try, try again, because as you're trying on something new or revisiting it for the first time, we're not going to be completely relaxed. So as long as it's in the green to yellow zone, I say try again. If it's red, you know, again, it's something that goes on the shelf to be revisited at another time. And then lastly, I want to come back to, you know, how do you bring this up all in the first place? And I think you are really intuitive and I completely wholeheartedly agree with you that in no way do you want to allude to any dissatisfaction. Uh, You really want to bring to his attention from a place of the longing, the wish, and the desire, right, to mutually explore each other's turn-ons and, you know, things that maybe you've never explored or, in this case, Can we revisit, because maybe oral sex isn't the only thing that dropped off your menu, right? What else might that be? And that you'd really like to revisit that. And you could say, you know, maybe you heard it on Girl Boner or you read it in your favorite women's magazine. There's always an opportunity to say there's an external reference that brought it into your mind and then made you think, huh, yeah, I'm curious. And, you know, I'd really like to revisit that or, you know, try on something new for the first time. So all I can say is that being in a relationship is such a huge opportunity. As I said, it's a safety net to go to the uncomfortable places, have those difficult conversations that we so often want to avoid, and really to express what we want, what we desire, to figure it out together or even first on our own, to even know what we want to bring to our partner. But that it is really a huge opportunity to always sort of be expanding our repertoire and our menu and focusing on increasing our ability and capacity to allow more pleasure. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks, Meg.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about really asking for what you want, owning your pleasure, and also the importance of communicating what you really do mean and what you really do want because I think we can harbor a lot of resentment when Mm. we are not expressing what we want and our partner gets these signals and then you know we're dissatisfied and then we might become resentful and I think resent resentment is such a toxic thing to bring in
2: that's so huge that's so huge uh I am codependent and I am the worst about that I don't advocate for myself I don't express my needs and then I get furious when my needs aren't met and I stew about it for three months and then I break up with somebody or I stop returning their texts. I am I am a mess in that sense. So I really appreciate you and Dr. Megan highlighting that. Also what was that? Was it a t-shirt that was going around for a while? I saw something that was saying something about uh, like of all the things that we do for men like we can at the very least uh not fake our orgasms and demand actual orgasms there's some Ah. snappy way that they articulated that that i am not conveying but i could not agree with that more if someone isn't giving you pleasure you're exactly what dr megan said you're not helping them by making them feel that they're succeeding and maybe they're doing it perfectly for their last girlfriend. You know, maybe they're excellent at oral sex, but it's not specifically what you want. I know that I like something very particular and a little bit weird, and when I explain it to people, they're always like, "Are are you sure?" Yeah. <laughs> so, it can be really helpful to just be straightforward and yeah. to not in your mind don't even see it as them falling short or failing. But just being like, oh, this is a recipe that they've never followed before.
0: Totally. And you're so right. The feedback being positive when you are faking an orgasm, they're like, oh, I should keep doing this then. Mm -hmm. And it's possible their last partner didn't like oral. Yeah. So they're not, you know, it's we only see things through the lens of our own experience. Mm -hmm. And so I I do, though, and I so appreciate how honest and open you were. Like, I suck at this. You're Mm -hmm. like. (laughs) I can't do it Um, because I think a lot of people can relate to that and it is a hard thing to do especially because we're concerned about our partner's feelings Mm -hmm. or other people's feelings whatever the scenario is where you're trying to you're struggling to stand up for your own wants Mm -hmm. needs and also pleasure is a quality of life issue yeah it's not something frivolous and I think that we forget that I think it's really easy especially for women we get the message that pleasure is possible or occasional or maybe it'll happen Mm -hmm. when it comes to orgasm but it's a given for guys yes so if you think that pleasure is not a priority it's not Mm -hmm. as important as you know taking care of your your physical health by eating meals Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. pleasure is important yeah whether that's sexual or not
2: yeah and I'm just gonna say there's a good chance that this is a miscommunication and that If you did fake it and your partner was aware and then you didn't bring up the subject again, it could very well be that your partner is making an assumption and saying, oh, you know what? She faked it for my benefit. Maybe she doesn't like this. Maybe this isn't something that she needs. So, yeah, bear that in mind. But if you bring it up with your partner and it's actually that they're not interested in your pleasure, that is a big conversation for me that is a deal breaker or that is a see a therapist with them if they're not interested in it they have to be interested in your pleasure especially if you're interested in theirs thank
0: you for saying that that's so true because you don't know how they're going to respond maybe she has a sense and maybe that's why she's not bringing it up Mm -hmm. you know and it, it absolutely should be their priority too another reason that some people don't go down on a partner is because they're their partner, their historically, their partners have felt shame around their genitals. Mm-hmm. It's a really relatively common thing for somebody to feel like, "Oh, I, what if I'm smelly?" Mm-hmm. Which is a whole other thing. Your pussy is supposed to smell like pussy, not like flowers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Let's get that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Done. I mean, imagine if we were like, "Oh, penises are supposed to smell like chocolate." <laughs> I mean, there'd be like chocolate douche <laughs> everywhere. Chocolate, you know, there's there's chocolate lube, I guess. Mm-hmm. But or or that penises are supposed to smell like roses, mm-hmm. you know? It's just it's really interesting, but there's there's so many things that can go into sex is very intimate and vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. you said you're bringing a lot to the table and by having a vul- vulnerable conversation, you'll only benefit. No matter what their response is, it might not be the one you want, mm-hmm. but that's knowledge you need.
2: Yes, and I, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This is something that my boyfriend introduced me to and that I hadn't thought about before. And uh, a rule that we follow with each other, but also when we bring other people into our lives, this is kind of a ground rule. And it's always be honest about your feelings because it helps the other person. Know whether or not you're a good fit. So it's not that you're saying this is a criticism of you. It's saying here's one more piece of the puzzle. We're both finding out if we're compatible. So it's not right or wrong. It's not a value judgment. It's just an opportunity for everybody to learn. And honestly, and again, this is something I reckon with on my own. I am like truth and honesty is so important to me. But when you aren't offering that kind of information, I need something different from you, I need something more from you, you're lying to that person. And that's something that I wrestle with all the time. I am telling them, you're doing everything perfect, when what you feel is I'm bubbling with fury (laughs) silently. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Thank you
0: for saying that. And interestingly, it's so is what you said about the book review. It's like if it's criti- yeah. if it's constructive <laughs> criticism, mm-hmm. not criticism. If it's a, if it's a fact that you're just gaining knowledge, like you're yeah. not a good fit. Yeah. That's something you should want to know. It might be a scary thing to find out right. or to the possibility, but it's probably one of the reasons that a lot of relationships end after whether it's marriage or just long-term mm-hmm. commitment because they weren't being honest. Right. It's so important. Your honesty is a a gift.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. It's, there's nothing wrong with just asking for the things that you need. That's not selfish.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you found anything that's helped you with that? And are you talking about just sexually or talking Mm -hmm. about in life in general? For you, it's a struggle, you said. For
2: me, it's every single thing all the time. It is so hard. I am the most textbook codependent person. I read books on it. I meditated about it. I see therapy about it. It is just, I, yeah, I had a therapist once who, I said something about rescheduling our meeting, and she said, "Get in here tomorrow." And she put *Adult Children of Alcoholics: The Book* in my hands. I remember this big yellow book, and she said, "Read this. This is you, your codependence. So, uh, everything about my life is through that lens." Um, but yeah, I think that to bring it back, I don't know. This might be one of the areas where you and I actually aren't the same person. Uh, so I don't know if this is something you struggle with. With uh, your girl boner empire but I think that that's something for me when you're running a business when I'm running this network like it's not it's very pervasive in my relationships but in business too it's really not that different asking for someone to give you an orgasm or asking somebody to pay you for the work that you did it's all the same thing of self-advocacy does not make you rude or selfish, or difficult, and as a woman, it is so hard (laughs) to put that into practice in Mm -hmm. your life.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Have you dealt with feelings of competitiveness with other people, other women in your life?
2: Yes, so that's something that's on the period about page. It is Uh, maybe my biggest crusade in life, Uh, it's not something I'd experienced much until I got to L.A., and it is a confounding part of female relationships for me, and I want it to go away, and I think we can choose to make it go away. Uh, Human value is not a scarce resource, and it makes me furious when we treat it that way. Uh, I'm just going to go on my tirade now because you've given me the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but what we do here at Period is we provide a place for women to speak. And I think in this town, sometimes people have this sense, and everywhere, uh, I think anyone can relate to this, this sense that, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And that's a, a lie. It weakens us as women It weakens us as people. I think it's so important to realize that if your goal is women's empowerment, if your goal is creating art, there is so much space. And any success you get, as a rule, I think morally you should always reach your hand back and help the next person up. And uh, this is coming out as so much more angry and so much less positive than I feel. Uh, I just want to stamp out that manufactured forced sense of competition that women have to carry. There's this feeling of, you know, you see it in like, like I think of Archie and like Betty and Veronica are like fighting for Archie's love and it makes them like hate each other. Mm. And it's like, do you know that like, you could both just like, like yourselves, and like each other, and everybody could be happily ever after on their own, like, I'm, I'm getting off on a, a a tangent here, but, um, yeah, I, just very centrally, uh, that's important to my overall mission, my overall philosophy, is that, uh, specifically here at Period, if you're A woman who's doing a podcast and you're not on our network if you're running a different women's podcast network we want you to be doing what you're doing we want to be friends with you we want to share anything we know about success and hear what you've learned along the journey we absolutely don't want to be I've had people advise me like oh did you know that there's someone else doing what you're doing like excellent that's great I'm doing this because I want that to be a thing." And so I feel that very much towards anyone out there who's working in this industry. Uh, And something, as long as I'm on the mic here, uh, I would love if there's anyone out there interested in starting a show, please reach out. You can find contact information on our website. You can email us directly there. It's just periodnetwork.com. And something that we want to do is have a free seminar. So if you think you might want to get into podcasting, but you think that podcasting isn't for women or you don't have the expertise or you don't know anything about technology. I promise you it's easy. I'm, I'm letting you peek behind the curtain at my life. It is not that hard to do. Mm-hmm. You press record and you talk into a microphone. Um, so we'd love to talk to anyone out there who's interested in starting something on their own. And I'm not saying to join the network. I'm not saying, you know, anything self-promoting of my network in particular. I'm just saying this is a thing, and you also feel this, that we want women on mic. Um, so please reach out. We want to organize something. We want to get women feeling confident enough to speak over the pod ways, airways. <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> I like that, the podways. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: love that. I love that about your philosophies and about period. It's so interesting because... After learning more about the mission of period to be very non-competitive and and collaborative, I was reading about competition between women. And there's this New York Times article by Emily V. Gordon from 2015 that shared a few different theories. I love her. (laughs) She's great. And one of the theories, so evolutionary psychology says that women need to protect themselves from physical harm. So indirect aggression keeps us safe while lowering the stock of other women, feminist psychology chalks this up to indirect aggression to internalizing the patriarchy, which I think ties so well into what you were saying about it being manufactured. Even Mm -hmm. though they're saying that that's evolutionary, when you think about it as as a patriarchal thing Mm -hmm. where it's like a way to keep women in their place almost, do you feel that?
2: I completely feel that. I have always felt that... If you put just women in a vacuum, that would not be there. I I really think that men dominate certain spheres, most spheres. And if women are competing with each other to get there, it does half the work for them. So half of it is men being gatekeepers and then any women who get through compete with each other and put each other down. And I think that that's so validating to hear that there's research behind that that it's not just an inclination that it really is it's i don't think it's natural yeah but that we're yeah forced into a position where we feel the need to compete by way of putting other people down right
0: absolutely and also the more that women are competing like you said doing the work doing Mm -hmm. a lot of work uh, and taking care of work there's also less room for everyone to win, mm-hmm. which makes more room for other people. Yeah. For men, right? So it's kind of like they'll have the token woman, the token right. black person, the token gay person. Because if they have to compete, it's it's the whole idea of women have always had to compete, it seems, to have a space at the table because there's only one freaking chair.
2: Yes, absolutely. And if we make our own space then that rule doesn't apply anymore. Yeah,
0: it's so true. She brought up another theory of her own, Emily Gordon did, that I think is really poignant. She said, we aren't competing with other women ultimately, but with ourselves and how we think of ourselves. For many of us, we look at other women and see instead a version of ourselves that is better, prettier, smarter, something more. We don't see the other woman at all. And I don't know if that's... It could be both, right? It could Mm -hmm. be the patriarchal stuff that happens then prompts women to feel less than because there's Mm -hmm. competition happening.
2: Yeah. And I think that that to me is something that depends very much on an individual's personality because like we talked about earlier, I am not naturally a competitive person. And so I do... Every minute, of every day, oh, my God, every girl that I'm around, I'm like, oh, my God, look at her eyelashes. Oh, my God, look at that outfit she put together. Like, every time I see other women, it is exactly what Emily Gordon said. It's not even about the traits of them as a person. Is it comparison
0: or is it adoration?
2: It's somewhere in between, but I, we can just, sometime off mic, Get into my crippling self consciousness, especially in LA, where everybody literally is a model. Uh, but I think that there's a difference in mentality where some people, if we're just talking about, let's say the negative part of it, let's set aside admiration because I think that's its own wonderful, beautiful thing. And let's keep uh, that. Yeah, that's absolutely valuable. But if we're, if something toxic is brewing in us when we're interacting with other women who we see certain traits of theirs as valuable, sometimes it's this thing eating us up inside where we go, oh, I'm comparing myself and I feel bad about myself. And then some people have this trait, and I just want to hug them and talk it out, where when they see those things in other women, I think it's entirely patriarchal I think it's entirely something that they have been taught that is a survival skill but they feel the need to either stamp out or get above that and I think it's something we get taught from movies that men write about how women are (laughs) and like you said if there's only one seat at the table for women women who don't see this Themyscira in the future that they could create where they can invent spaces for women they feel the need to claw their way in there And like right now I'm being such a bad example by being like some women just fucking suck and they do this negative thing. I didn't totally get that way
0: at all.
2: (laughs) You have such a big heart.
0: It's always showing you're very thoughtful and, and have compassion. You're saying that this is the patriarchy. They feel they've absorbed this messaging. Mm -hmm. And I think in the rare case, it's, a sociopath. Yes. You know, someone who,
2: yes, I have experienced that. Yes. yes.
0: We've been there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There are people mm. like that. Yeah. And, uh, I know they have a place in the world and there are many who don't do harm and I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that. I think yeah. they deserve support, but, and then there are some manipulative ones and, mm. but, that may be the way that they learn how, that's how,
2: they, without empathy,
0: mm-hmm. what else do you have, right?
2: Right. And it's a conscious choice. And that's another thing you and I have talked about at length, that you can be a sociopath and become a brain surgeon and save the world. And you can become a sociopath and decide to waste so much energy putting down at anyone who you feel is taking up a space that you deserve. but that's that's a whole other podcast totally yeah I'm (laughs) so
0: with you there absolutely it's interesting because when I was thinking about my own journey as far as competitiveness Mm -hmm. because that brings up thoughts of jealousy for me like when have I felt jealous and I think there are certain times when jealousy is reflecting a value where you're jealous because it's something that you don't want this friend to be You know, it's something you share with just that friend. You don't want them to share with another. Whatever, like Mm -hmm. it could be, it could be a value system thing. It could be actually somebody's doing you wrong, and Mm -hmm. you are jealous because there's deceit going on, right? Yeah. But then there's a jealousy that happens that is deeply rooted in insecurity Mm -hmm. and feeling less than. And I struggled with that so much for so many years. And I remember feeling so jealous of a friend of mine when we were kids because she was so talented, such a good singer, such a good musician. um, And I loved her. She was a really good friend, but I sometimes couldn't be around displays of her talent Mm -hmm. because I just felt like nothing. Like, I just felt like, why can't I be good at something? Mm -hmm. Like, I just, my my self-worth was really low. And then when I got into modeling and have been in really... I mean, I've lived in New York, Paris, Miami, L.A. And <laughs> Not exactly the most nurturing for your self-confidence. <laughs> True. But it's interesting because as a writer, it's it's so different. Um, because I remember the first time I, I got paid for a job as a writer where the editor didn't know what I looked like mm. at all. And, you know, we had screen names whatever in this this account and I don't even know if they knew my gender Mm -hmm. um and to get positive feedback and to be feeling so good about I know why I'm getting paid for this I it's only for the work Mm -hmm. but then at the same time grappling with the feelings of like feeling ugly like Mm -hmm. those have not gone away for me but I just don't care about them so much Mm -hmm. like I'll have the flitting thoughts of I'll notice like certain days I just like you know, I can really, I'll have this, it's like floating around my head, like these little thoughts Mm -hmm. of, you know, that I look this really strange way and I'm really Mm -hmm. unattractive and I'm really this and really that. Um, But the difference is, is that they just kind of float around like gnats, you know, like little flies buzzing around the room and I'm like, oh, there it is. And I just (laughs) go back to being myself and I just don't really care. Uh, But it does bother me that any energy goes there because if I weren't noticing those things, what else could I be doing with that energy? Yeah. You know, I don't fixate on it anymore. But it's sad to me that there's sort of a price tag mm-hmm. to being femme or, or female that the whole world is judging us on our appearance. Mm-hmm. So the awareness of that is like baggage we carry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. First of all, I want to say I because you and I have talked about that it seems like you're just me on a slightly different timeline like (laughs) you are a few steps ahead of me so I always feel like I can learn from you and that is so empowering to me because I look back on the way I was 10 years ago and how I am now and I've greatly improved but the idea of walking around the rest of my life carrying this weight of constantly feeling not good enough specifically in the realm of physical appearance it is such a waste of energy. It upsets me every single day, and hearing you say, oh, in a few years, you can look forward to a point where it's buzzing around your head, but doesn't suck all your energy up, that's still such a huge leap forward, and at the same time, I agree with what you're saying, that it's so unfair that almost none of the men in my life, the men in my life who do things for their physical appearance, it's a fun hobby. They're really into suits they're really into (laughs) nice leather shoes they had people in their family who you know their dad and their uncle styled their hair a certain way so they like buying pomade and doing their hair like that but it's not like they feel down about themselves when they look in the mirror the same way I do when we really get into it and there have been men in my life who do But it's so few and far between. For the most part, it's a for fun thing. Whereas for us, like. It's self-worth.
0: Yeah. And I think even our awareness that. Because we know that these thoughts are not facts. Right. Right. We are aggravated that anyone has to think them. Mm -hmm. We don't like the societal fuel that's causing it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's there. Yeah. So that causes this added stress because I get frustrated when I'm. When I feel a judgmental thought about my appearance,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I still have a little funny thing about having my photo taken. Like, mm-hmm. I love candid photos because I feel like that's always real. That yeah. feels real to me. But the posed pictures,
2: mm-hmm.
0: sometimes, like, my dysmorphia comes up when I see the picture. It's oh, really wow. weird. Um, and I don't think I've, I've talked to anybody about that. <laughs> like, I don't know if I ever have in the last years. So I'm glad that we are talking about it because you being so vulnerable and sharing so openly mm-hmm. is just it feels natural to bring these things up and to say like some of the competitiveness is actually, we are all just like aching in some ways. Mm-hmm. And if you know that the person next to you, you know, cause it, w- it was really strange to be struggling with an eating disorder when I was also in fashion magazines mm-hmm. and to feel like I wanted to talk about my poor body image and people are like, nobody cares about your poor body image. Yeah. Like, why are we going to care? And I get that. I totally get that. Um, But it is an epidemic that affects everybody. The difference is, is if you have, quote, skinny privilege, thin privilege, then you aren't getting it from other people the same way that people are who are larger in size or Mm -hmm. you know for all these different kinds of things but I I have to tell you when we were sitting outside the studio before we came in you know I was thinking Hmm. you were standing there and the sun was on your face and I was like she is so freaking pretty you had like your freckles were glowing and I thought oh my gosh like it was like a photograph I thought Mackenzie is so pretty (laughs) and I wasn't thinking it in a competitive way I was just like wow it was the adoration kind like the Being able to admire another person's beauty, another woman's beauty, is a gift of my own recovery. Yeah. Um, To be able to see that and to not be like, oh, then that means, (laughs) ooh, I'm not so pretty. Or, you know, whatever that is, Um, that really being ourselves is, is the key. But the more that you do at least notice these flies buzzing around or even when they are really pervasive and it's actually something that's kind of filling you up, Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing it, but then also knowing that it, it's a really common thing. And it's also, it doesn't define us.
2: Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. Cause that's okay. So at this point I'm just going to, we can leave this in or cut it out. We have gone way over our usual time, but I noticed that my awareness of time was making me talk funny. I'm just going to roll. If we're here all day, <laughs> who gives a shit? You can tell me when to shut up and we'll wrap it up. All right. Um, hearing you say that stuff is so helpful to me because i personally have been having i'm gonna wind up getting all emotional i've been having the most horrible time huh i'm gonna cry so yeah podcasting uh living in this town is the best thing that's ever happened to me ever 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 i have the best friends my partner is like Like, I have a crush on him. I get excited when I get off work. I get to go see him. I love that we have endless things to do. I have a job that my family doesn't understand that it's a job because that doesn't exist outside of L.A. Like, L.A. is magical and amazing. But also, I have in my professional life had people get things faster, easier, better, because they look differently than i do these women who i don't know how to do the pretty things i haven't worn makeup since i was like 21 my mom mailed me some mascara and I, on like days that i feel crazy i'm like maybe i'll put on mascara like i don't know how to do makeup when i try to do my hair it does not work i don't know how to put an outfit together and i am chubby and i know these things about myself and it has been the biggest struggle lately to be like okay Am I going to stress myself out about looking the way other people do in this town so that I can get the responses from men who are gatekeepers in the way that they do? Or do I quietly make progress more slowly and fight the patriarch without eyeliner? Do you know what I mean? It's I do, yeah. this horrible catch-22. And lately I've been saying, so should I just... Focus on both at the same time and try and like take up that time and energy looking the way that the fancy girls in this town do, so that I can skip to the front of the line the way they do. Or is that like you talk about those flies buzzing around? Is that mental energy? that I'm not willing to expend because I could spend two hours doing my makeup or I could spend two hours editing audio. Mm. I don't fucking know. And it has been ripping me apart lately. And so hearing that you, you're gorgeous, you have your shit together, you have this, like I always reference this girl boner empire, you are so self-empowered and you've created something positive to hear you say, I sometimes see photos And it does something bad in my brain. I would never have known that. And that's why I'm literally crying right now. Because it's this thing that, oh, okay, everyone fights this battle forever. And you don't put it aside. And you don't get over it. And you don't get better. You just always manage your relationship to anxiety about appearance. And, oh, my God, fuck that. Yes. Yes.
0: I can tell you what has helped me the most and it is not putting on makeup for somebody to think I'm prettier and give me a job I know that fundamentally that's not your value system anyway but Mm -hmm. I also really respect that that is how a lot of people get ahead Mm -hmm. right I when I go back to my old casting notices so many of them I remember a big thing for me was should I make my boobs look bigger for this audition or Mm -hmm. should I just keep them smaller (laughs) you know I mean that was a really big part of my job as an actress because I often was going in for the ditzy cheerleader very stereotypical and sometimes her breasts and her cleavage were a big part of it and I don't have cleavage without some help so like I I had duct tape on my breasts at one point during a job because (laughs) I needed to give it a little lift and um and I, I'm sure I have gotten many opportunities uh, based on my appearance being more like conventionally attractive. For sure, obviously, I modeled for 15 <laughs> years. That was what I was being paid for, right? Um, so I get that. Uh, but even then, so many of my jobs, like my repeat jobs, came because people liked my work ethic. People mm-hmm. appreciated that I was kind. They appreciated that I really focused and I was present and I took care of myself. Arguably (laughs) Um, in some ways and uh, and what's been more powerful than anything for my body image and my self-esteem has been stepping more and more into my own authentic self and my passions. I remember the first time that I had this like huge aha of like oh my gosh I totally don't care what I look like and it was amazing and it was in the old studio And, you know, having been basically a full time writer for several years, I wasn't doing anything that was really super photographic anyway, after years of being constantly photographed. So it was a shift to be in a studio where guests often wanted pictures with me and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was a little like weird for me at first. But I went into the studio, and I was, like, so excited to be there. I still am. I always get so excited to go in and record. And I took a selfie because I was, like, I'm getting ready to record. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at it, and I only had makeup on one half of my face. <laughs> like, I had eye makeup on one eye. And because I'm so fair and my lashes are see-through, <laughs> it was, like, oh, very obvious. <laughs> and I was so proud of it. I was, like, yes. Oh. Victory. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, there are challenges, but the challenges come up when I am underslept, when I'm not taking care of myself mm-hmm. in ways that are really nurturing. And I'm not talking about going to the gym and doing my cleanses. because I don't believe in cleanses. You do you. <laughs> um, but it's it's literally if you live a life where you can sleep better at night because you're being true to yourself. You're a hundred times more beautiful <laughs> physically. Uh, you feel so much more attractive, and people want your energy more than anything. Yeah. Like you're one of the most beautiful people I know, mm-hmm. and that I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. And it's I gonna
2: make me cry again.
0: It shows. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really does. And I'm. I also feel a little naive that I, it didn't occur to me that you might have those feelings about <laughs> yourself because I just see you're such this badass feminist, <laughs> and you're like. F the patriarchy. <laughs> when I was struggling so much, I was, you know, much smaller in myself. Like I I wasn't outspoken. I wasn't doing activism, you know. Yeah. I was I was out putting on the makeup and yeah. doing the thing. And and so it's also a good reminder to me that even the people who seem the strongest in our lives and who are really seeming very self-assured. This is a universal battle that has nothing actually to do with what we look <laughs> like. And that's the irony. Yeah.
2: Nothing. And Zero. I, I really have to thank you. I, If I could put that on a billboard or if everybody listening to this can just take home that one thing. When you were saying that you were a model, so your job is looking a certain way. And absolutely, we could get into a discussion about how there's so much more to it than that. But superficially it's to look at in photographs and then people are calling you back because of your work ethic that I have chills that affects me so deeply because as a woman every minute of every day you get told that the things that you get are based on how you look and then every minute somebody validates that for you you go watch somebody get something because of how they look and or how I'm they're
0: using their appearance, right? Right. Like the whole, you know, it's it's hard for me when I see somebody putting on the push-up bra and the low-cut dress and the heels mm-hmm. and strutting by a guy to try to get a job. And it's mm-hmm. like,
2: that's also from the same source, right? Right. They're doing it. And I feel that way. I have discussed with people. I'm a musician. And so I talk about this a lot with musicians who I love, where I'm like, ah, oh, like Nicki Minaj, if you are using your amazing body- to get money from people and you are also owning your sexuality in a way that like I bow down to women who can be that way. I think that's incredible. And so when we're having this discussion, I hope no one hears bitterness. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, Oh, these women are cheating. I'm saying it's more work than I know how to do. And it's something that I, you choose where you put your energy. And so I'm not saying like, like, I get really mad, so mad, when people say things like, I just don't have the willpower to be anorexic. Like, that's not what I'm saying. That's such a negative thing. I'm saying when women use their attractiveness, they use their sexuality, they use flirtation to get what they want. We are in a rigged system. And if that is your way of getting ahead, that is a different route than mine. And sometimes I wonder if that's the better route. Because you're operating within a system that screws you. And so when you hear us having that conversation, don't hear us saying something negative about you working that push-up bra. We do what we have to to get there. I'm just saying that I personally, it eats me up to go, oh, my God, there's no good way to get things. Because, like, my boyfriend, he's Chicano, and he always says, I'm playing life on hard mode. And he applies that to women, too, and I feel the same way that there are just things that we have to do that men don't have to do. And when male is the default, when you get the guidebook on how to live life, we have extra steps that aren't covered in that guidebook. And so we don't know how to figure that out. Mm -hmm. How do you get the job? Oh, put on a suit and have a good resume. That's not the case. And nobody teaches us those in-between things that we have to do that's extra.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for pointing that out and especially what you said about not shaming people who are using their looks as a strategy mm-hmm. because what you said about it eating you up. I think that's the key. If mm-hmm. it's eating you up, don't do it, please. Yeah. If you're empowered by it, have at it, yeah. do what you need to do and, and go about it. it. It's one of those things that I struggle with, with like cosmetic surgeries and, you know, there've been so many like, pressure to have butt implants now Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are very dangerous and like I have these worries and uh and all these different anti-aging things and just all these different treatments and it's so commercial and this pressure on women to like spend money and Mm -hmm. change themselves and at the same time I'm so pro- do whatever the heck you want to your body. <laughs> yeah. Add an extra arm if you want to. <laughs> it's your body. Do whatever you want. I think what's important to me and what I've learned is we have to keep in mind that none of this happens in a in a vacuum. Right. We are all exposed to these messages. And we may think we're making a, an empowering choice that is purely our own choice. But where does that motivation come from? And... It's the reason that I have a chapter in my book on empowering beauty decisions, not to steer people away from choosing beauty, beautifying things. I do. I'm wearing mascara now. I wear mascara most days. I'm so used to me me with it that I look tired without it. So even if I don't see it, I feel more awake Mm -hmm. when I wear it. It's really (laughs) weird. So like I, you know, and I, I do care. I want to feel comfortable in what I'm wearing um, I wish someone else always dressed me because I don't <laughs> like thinking about <laughs> it. Um, shout out to my stylist friend, Rain. She's awesome. Um But I think it is important that we are introspective about why we're making certain decisions mm-hmm. because what I don't want people to do is to like spend money they don't have mm-hmm. trying to change themselves when actually it wasn't the decision that would have been most empowering for them. Maybe it is, Mm -hmm. but really thinking about like, why do I want to do this? Like why, or thinking that if I dress a certain way, if I lose certain amount of pounds, if Mm I wear makeup, whatever, if, if you're doing those things because you think that that will make you valuable, I think that that's the time to do some self-work. And Mm -hmm. I say that with huge compassion because I totally get it.
2: Yeah. I think it's that you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. It's that distinction between. A choice and a requirement I think that's what eats away at me is when it feels like a requirement but I totally agree with you it it keeps coming back to the same thing I said it with non-competition I I see it everywhere that we have to make those decisions so if society says certain things about women then we can create our own society right If we as a whole, anybody who identifies as a woman and, you know, men, you can jump in on this with the way that you interact with women, with the way that you speak to women, thinking critically about the way that you sexualize women, I think we can decide where our value actually lies and start living accordingly and start locking arms and working together to create ways that we can succeed and get ahead without having to kowtow to the rules that the patriarchy has put in place, I think that's the only way to make things better. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree.
0: And I love how this conversation has just sort of gone its own way. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And it's also relevant to period and to, to the work that we're both doing. Mm-hmm. I love that we have projects and ventures and dreams and missions that we are so invested in And the same kind of passion that we're applying to, you know, so much of what we do has to do with getting, chipping away at these messages, Mm -hmm. right? In so many different ways. So I think it's, it's really cool. And also to say like, it's completely normal and natural to still be struggling and also to be building something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the building of something else. I feel like one of the most powerful ways to improve the way you feel about yourself, about your body, all of it is to put time and energy into something you're passionate about Mm -hmm. or something you're curious about or both
2: Mm -hmm.
0: it's absolute medicine yeah it's so freeing because I care more about girl boner than I've ever cared about my appearance which says a lot because that almost killed me so all I have to do is even think about girl boner when I'm Mm -hmm. out if I if I do start feeling that I just I think of the people who I hear from you know who share their hearts and the remarkable things that have happened in my own life too when I've I've been able to embrace my sexuality and all of that. It's it's really about being true to ourselves. I think what we're both doing. And I did get one question tying in specifically to like blogging and podcasting. And I thought since we are discussing our own works today, maybe we could wrap up with a few just pointers for somebody who's wanting to start creating their own content and is maybe feeling a little nervous. Not sure where to start.
2: I oh. love that. Yeah. Um, I don't know who should go first. Do you, should go we? for it. Okay. Um, so August and I both uh, feel very strongly about this as the the flagship message of period. and that's faith in women's expertise. And it, this, of course, can go out to anyone who identifies as any gender. Um, but as someone who runs period, uh, I think more in terms, of course, of women's issues, cause that's what my entire life and company is about. And that's the, the first place to start. Um, Haley, who was in here earlier, uh, who was helping to engineer this, she wants to start a show. And that was the first thing out of her mouth. She said, I want to start a show, but you hear all these shows and these guys are so confident. And I just, I don't think that I you know know enough or uh, you know that I'm competent enough you hear just things like that from women all the time just like punch those thoughts down they absolutely if you have strong opinions about something guess what there are men out there who know less about it than you do who have shows with thousands of listeners you can get in front of the mic and don't mm-hmm. you know don't bullshit don't lie <laughs> But that's the number one hurdle, I would say, is to just throw away those thoughts that you're not competent. Mm. If you're genuinely not, preface it as opinion. But, like, really value your own expertise. That's the biggest thing. Um, And then on a more technical level, like I said, please reach out. I personally am happy to just go back and forth emailing with you. Uh, I've put together a little sheet that I send to people that shows you how to start a show. I am your resource. You can email me along the way. I will answer questions. Um, But it's just no, it's not that hard to do something good enough. We operate out of a big fancy studio. I put hours and hours of editing into all of these. Uh, I sprang for expensive Uh, editing software there's a lot that you can do but if you feel you have a message you believe in or if you just think that it sounds fun honestly there are really simple cheap if not free ways to get started and I think that's the third and last thing that I would say is the rule that I live my life by maybe even though I've probably said this about four different things on this podcast (laughs) maybe the number one thing that I would pass on as the lesson I have learned so far in life start before you're ready do not wait until you think that you're there that is such a lie don't do it if you have an idea get together with your friends and just jump in if you think the sound quality isn't great who cares if you think it's not structured enough who cares start because once you start you never know who's going to like it, who's going to tune in, and then their support can push you to the next level, and it snowballs. So just get out there and get started.
0: Such good advice. I would piggyback onto what you just said about starting before you feel ready and say something I apply to all my writing is do the first draft without thinking about the audience and then edit, or put it out into the world, or move forward with it, considering your audience. Because I think we can put pressure on ourselves to be really polished and to have it all down. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you're if you're waiting until you feel ready, you may never feel ready mm-hmm. until you just jump in. I think that's, that's a really, really important key. Um, I think it's also important to remember that you can always change directions. So I've noticed that a lot of people, when they're starting a blog, they will, they're trying to figure out the perfect topic. But you can start with any topic. You can start with saying, I don't know what I'm going to write about. You can start with, I'm going to talk about my dog today and cheeseburgers tomorrow. And, you know, just let the, the journey guide you, knowing that you can switch gears. I was blogging about health and my dog and (laughs) thrillers like my first blog post was something about female serial killers I think because I had written a thriller and I thought I should really stay dark and this would be good for my audience (laughs) and it was fun to write but then I thought I don't want to write about this every day (laughs) and I I was I was absorbing some rules that I'd heard which I would say consider what other people are doing but don't consider anything law Mm. There are so many guidelines out there about how often you should do this, how often you should do that. Yeah, consistency is important, but you don't have to blog three times a week and have six podcast episodes ready before you release. And you don't have to do all those things. If that sounds good to you, go for it. But for me, what really helped the most and took me from a few blog readers to a million views in a year was trusting my own instinct and going, okay, this is starting to feel like homework because I'm writing about stuff I know about just because I know about it. I want to write about girl boners and here I go. And I just dove in and you don't have to have some controversial or risque topic. What matters more than anything is that it's important to you. You feel compelled to talk about it. It doesn't have to be big and serious either. I've heard people say, oh, well, if you just blog about sex, then you'll get lots of hits. But that's not true either. But sex is everywhere and there's so much content about it that, yeah, if you normally blog about gardening and suddenly you do a sex post, your current readers are going to be like, oh, what is this sexy hoe thing? It's not a garden hoe. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, those people will read it. But you're lost in a sea of, you know, th- the thing that makes your content important is your own voice. And I think that applies to all content we create.
2: Mm -hmm. Very much so. Something that you hear reiterated and reiterated in any artistic spaces is if you try to make something relatable, you wind up with soulless garbage. If you write something deeply personal, even people who don't have the same experience will relate to you.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's so true. It's like being a knockoff.
2: Yeah. versus
0: something that's true and again it could be about anything it could be about mm-hmm. fashion or painting or politics or I was told never blog about politics or sex <laughs> obviously I didn't follow any of those rules um mm-hmm. you'll hear a lot of stuff and I th- and I think as you were saying starting and just really knowing that you are you already are ready to be yourself yes that's what it's really all about yeah
2: yeah, you can be both a work in progress and ready at the same time. And a masterpiece. They're not yeah. mutually exclusive. It's true. Yeah.
0: Hopefully, we're always works in progress, yeah. right? Again, it's like the sexual empowerment journey. It's like <laughs> we—it's not none of it's a destination.
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: for sure. So, tell people again where they can find you and learn more about you and your upcoming workshop.
2: Yes. Yeah, so. The best place to start would be periodnetwork.com because that's easy to spell and easy to remember. Anything else you want from there, there's a contact page. You can just go ahead and email me, and uh, I can talk to you about uh, our workshop. I can give you pointers on starting a show. Um, We also are uh, open to applications right now, For either people currently hosting shows or people who want to pitch show ideas to us, we would love to hear what your ideas are. If you
0: are interested in listening to my Girl Boner book, the audiobook just released. Yay! So (laughs) I know um, a lot of you have been listening along with me for a while, so it would be really awesome if you would uh, nab it on Audible if you have a subscription. Otherwise, you can get a free 30-day subscription from Audible And listen to Girl Boner for free, which is really cool. Otherwise, you can order the disc set um, on Amazon. And find more information at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Spotify if you have a few seconds or a few minutes to leave a simple review or a rating that would be so much appreciated. It helps us reach more people. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.